on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, shipmates. Welcome aboard another edition of The Big Fish and a great treat this morning. Botany Bay Bernie and Dogfish Dave. We had a great adventure while we're on holidays on The Big Fish on Botany Bay. Gee, we had some fun. Giant hammerhead sharks, all sorts of amazing denizens of the deep, including Dogfish and Bernie. Such a swell Singing to a liar, a liarty Singing to a liar, a liar Singing to a liar, a liarty We're bound for Botany Bay Morning, Dogfish! Hey, ahoy there, Scotty. Morning, Bernie. Bernie. I'm here too, I'm here too. Hello, Scott. Botany Bay, Bernie. Bernie. First question to you, Bernie. What's a two yes, I? And Dave, first question to you: What's an additive? Yeah. Hmm, a tuuli. I think that's a that's a, an old English form of the word two eyes. Tuuli. I'd like to see your two eyes. That explains yeah. things because you're the the flathead specialist, and they have their two eyes on top of their head. They do. So we've worked it out. An additive. Um, that's something that they used to put in their rum to check the uh, proof level of it. And if the uh, rum bosun was watering down their, their nips, uh, he'd be in big trouble. That's right. Yes. Get the anity, boy. <laughs> Throw me another anity. This one big spit. Yeah, 40 lashes. I know that you like a little umbrella in your rum. Um, and he does mention rum skulls as well, I think, in that. So maybe that you're on the right track. Gee, we had some fun on, on Botany Bay on, under the flight path, boys. What, a, what an amazing place. Um, take us through the, the adventure. Yeah, uh, what a great day. Well, we to start with, we left a little later than we would normally like to start uh, due to somebody's tardiness in getting to the wharf on time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that you launched from the secret smugglers' cove, I ended up on the Princess Highway. Almost ended up in Wollongong. There's no signs. I thought I'd see a sign this way to Muddy Creek. Mm. <laughs> that's that's just Sydney's greatest secret. Yeah, that's right. And uh, but we we were out on the water by about what was it, Botany Bay, Bernie? About uh, eight thirty. We, we too late. Eventually got out there. Yeah. Yeah. About an hour later than normal. And uh, steamed our way over to uh, a secret spot that we know, which is not so secret if you're a regular listener to The Big Fish. And it was just great to have a a, a real proper summer uh, back in Sydney again. No COVID, no, you know, uh, hot weather and uh, beautiful, beautiful day on the water and uh, what was in store for us was a huge uh, day of days fishing, and many species. And uh, and I'll I'll let you uh, expound on that, Bernie, if if you can. And just yeah, before we, we get into that, we, Bernie, we we steamed past the other fisher folk on Botany Bay, and they were all packed like sardines off the one spot. Uh, that must be the spot because where we went, that was us. There was. <laughs> There's no one else That's there. Right. What's That's going right. on? Why does everyone we want to be the at the... At, 
at Moulineau Point, which is right on the end of that breakwater there. And that's about 23 metres deep. And they're fishing for the kingies out there and probably could have gone into Yarra Bay and got a few live squid and dropped it to the bottom. That would be the, the choice bait for them. But, um, yeah, now our fishing's a bit different from that. Uh, you know, we, as you know, we went further in and we uh, set up for our drift. I guess you got to see how important the drift was and how we set it up and how we drifted across the same spots. And Yeah, it was fantastic. We looking, I, I think yeah, I... looking for the drop-off. Mm, a lot of people would not know that burleying can work with drifting. Most people would think, why burley when you're drifting? But Dave's invention and, and your navigation meant that that burley paid dividends for us and was more catching than fishing. We were reeling them in. Yeah, it was mm. nonstop, wasn't it? Yeah, not so much my invention. Uh, I would say I've adapted uh, the idea of uh, the burly popsicle uh, into a uh, couple of bits of PVC, which allow uh, you to adjust the release rate. And it's weighted down to um, compensate for the ice, the natural buoyancy of the ice. So we can get it down. It's got a 20-meter rope on there. We normally fish in, in around between 20 and uh, and 10 metres of water, which is the drop-off that we drift over. And uh, the the burly bomb just, uh, just trails behind us there. And by going back over the same drift several times, uh, we eventually attracted every fish, I think, within a five-mile radius, including ones outside the heads as well the big seals too. Uh, tracking that drift, how, how do you go about uh, doing that, Captain Bernie? Oh, well, the drift, I mean, we've been doing it for so long, but I'm using the GPS and I'm using the, the sonar. So the GPS will all, always take you back to the place you started and if you, you can watch the bottom rise and fall on the sonar. And what we're looking for is, is the drop-off. Once you're on either side of it and it's flat, the fishing goes off. So it's just a matter of retracing your steps and dogfish will be dropped. He'll be, besides the burly bomb that he's got running when we're drifting he's also throwing chunks of things over and we're looking to come over them again like you know back and forth for a few hours and it uh, it pays off you'll find you hit those spots again and everything's down there it was really interesting too dogfish that the burley started to pay dividend later in the day as that that layer of i guess beautiful chum was lined out across the, the sand bottom mainly sand bottom there and, and all of a sudden we hooked into a fish and i didn't recognise it at the start because it was just so much bigger than the usual. Uh, and uh, snapped me off on my four-pound rig. I had to go to a 10-pound uh, soft plastic rig and put a little hook on that, to a little circle hook, to try to cope with these huge fish that I thought were bonito at the start. They were so big. Tell us about the monsters. Mm. Yeah, well, you're talking about the slimy mackerel or the yeah. blue mackerel. I'd never yeah. seen them as big. They were huge, weren't they? I think they must have came right in from outside the heads, those ones, because they, they took a while to come on, onto the bite. That was sort of later in the day. Uh, and uh, they, they're great sport, those things. And, uh, and also, according to... Uh, he's not the galloping gourmet. What is he? He's, he's more like the cantering cook of, of uh, <laughs> local radio in <laughs> Sydney. The staggering stomach? I, I don't yeah, know what you're looking for. Um, no, um, Simon Morn, uh, Salmon Morn, what, S- Simon Marnie, uh, our c- colleague, uh, he's, uh, he, he loves those slimy mackerel fillets and he puts them in his smoker and uh, 
he's just over the moon if we can turn up at his joint with a feed of those uh He'll go crazy. And didn't he benefit from that day out fishing? I, I think I had a bit of sunstroke or something because I left my entire catch after meticulously filleting it all and boning it out uh, for, for young Simon, but that's okay. He was very appreciative. He really was. But uh, anyway, we'll talk about that further later in the show. For sure, for sure, yes. Another one of my great... Uh, indiscretions on the water it's the big fish with botany bay bernie and dogfish dave and i've finally got out with them on botany bay so many times on this show we've crossed to them live as they're drifting uh, under the flight path and it's a great trip you could get the the plane spotters captain bernie to pay you money to look at those giant birds as they defy gravity uh, hanging over the top of us yes you could you could well it breaks up the journey the journey out there is it's about 50 minutes to an hour, depending on the run-in or the run-out. And uh, it gives you something to amuse yourself on your, while puttering across the bay there. Uh, just, just incredible. Those really big ones, they, they are just an awesome sight to be up close and, and, and personal with uh, under, underneath. They're just amazing. But, but, Particularly when but, they're coming into land across the bay. Yeah, the traffic, uh, air traffic is, is not what it was pre-COVID, that's for sure. It's, it still hasn't come back to peak levels Uh but, yeah, it's nothing like seeing one of those jet dreamliners coming into land uh, with its wings, plastic wings bending and, and the smell of avgas in the morning. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> in another life, uh, Dogfish Dave worked in, in the music industry, recording some of our, our great artists and, and international acts as well. And, Dave, you've dug up a very interesting version of probably Australia's most popular um Sea shanty or, or folk song, uh, bound for Botany Bay. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I never had the chance to to work with the great Frank Ifield, but I have uh, met him, and he's the most loveliest bloke you could ever meet. He's he's the Peter Pan of uh, Australian music, really. He would give uh, Cliff Richard a run for his money in in the look stakes, and. Um, and I happened upon this version of Botany Bay, as as you you know, Frank was famous for uh, "I Remember You," uh, the song, and which was later covered by the Sex Pistols, which was uh, <laughs> "I Remember You," your mongrel. <laughs> uh, and then uh, he also had the uh, "Lovesick Blues," the old Hank Williams song, and and Frank Frank could yodel, uh, and he was a great yodeler, and. Mm. In this uh, this version we're about to hear of Botany Bay, he does manage to get a bit of a yodel in there. And the interesting thing is that uh, he was signed to EMI Records in the UK and his career peaked in the early 60s. So when he was recording this song at Abbey Road in the next studio, there was a, a bunch of blokes called The Beatles recording their second album uh, with The Beatles. So... Yeah, a little bit of trivia there for you, folks. Wow, well, I think Simon Marnie on the last Botany Bay trip did a bit of yodelling as well, so always <laughs> enhances the fishing. Let's have a listen to Frank Ifield's version of Botany Bay on the Big Fish with Botany Bay Bernie and Dogfish Dave. Farewell to old England forever. Farewell to my old pals as well. Farewell to the well-known old Bailey Where I once used to look such a swell Singing to rely, rely, adity 
Singing to rely, rely. Singing to rely, rely. We're bound for Botany Bay. Tain't leaving old England we cares about. Nor that we misspells what we knows. It's because all us high-toting jettery walk about with a log on our toes. Singing to rely, rely, adity. Singing to rely, rely. Singing to rely, rely, adity. We're bound for Botany Bay. I had the wings of a turtle dove I'd soar on my pinion so high Slap bang in the arms of my poly love And in her sweet presence I'd die Singing to rely, rely, adity Singing to rely, rely Singing to rely, rely, adity We're bound for Botany Bay Now come all you young dookies and duchesses Take a warning by what I've to say Mind old as you're on that you touches us I'll join us in Botany Bay Singing to rely, rely, adity Singing to rely, rely Singing to rely, rely, adity We're bound for Botany Bay We're bound for Botany Bay Frank Ifield, The Big Fish with Dogfish Dave and Botany Bay Bernie and very deep and rich history in that part of the world despite the industrial heritage and the, the refinery and the giant ships coming in and the giant planes overhead, the, the thousands and thousands of years of Aboriginal midden uh, evidence to show that the people lived and dined on the, uh, on the abundant seafood and then the colonial history. There's so much there, guys. Um, you've been doing a bit of a, a dive into that history, I believe. Uh, yeah, well, I've just finished uh, reading a great book by Dr. Julian Pepperell, who's a guest on The Big Fish, called Fishing for the Past. And it's it's about um, the what the Europeans discovered when they first um, came into Botany Bay and uh, and and Australia and and what sort of fish species they were catching uh, and and what sort of quantities they were catching and their observations of the indigenous people and and how they'd go about it and and it, it's a fascinating book and uh, it's so well researched um, but. Um, you know that it starts off obviously with Captain Cook sailing into Botany Bay, exactly where we were fishing the other day. And uh, what did he do? <clears throat> the first thing he did was go fishing, of course. And uh, I've got a little extract from the book here. Once I dropped anchor, uh, after I'd returned from sounding the bay, I went over to a cove on the north side of the bay, where in three or four hauls with the same net. We caught about 300 pounds weight of fish, which I caused to be equally divided among the ship's company. So that was their first go. And um, and the author seems to think that that might have been around Kaima there on the sandy flat there, which is a popular swimming spot and uh, bull shark spot today. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> amazing, amazing stuff. And another beautiful piece of uh, evidence uh, about fishing on board the Endeavour was the shopping list that Banks had. He went down to the Hookmakers and Bodkin Company or something and, and bought this incredible list of different size hooks from giant shark hooks right down to little tiny ones that you could catch, I don't know, slimy mackerel like Weecourt or, or Yellowtail or uh, Trevally or Brim or, or whatever. Uh, I would liken Captain Botany Bay Burney to, to Bly rather than Cook, but... Uh, <laughs> Particularly when I turned up late, I thought I was going to have to walk the plank in Muddy Creek. But that, you love that history, don't you, Bernie? Yeah, I do love the history there. Yep, it's terrific. Botany Bay is such a fabulous spot, uh, and the uh, the marker boy that marks the spot that that uh, the Endeavour anchored when it first got there. It's still there, but the plaque is still missing. Still needs to be investigated. That one. Speaking of the history of the area there and the indigenous uh, people from Botany Bay. Down at um, at Kongwong Beach, there I've I've actually seen some of the local indigenous uh, people cast netting for mullet, at certain times of the year, just wading into the water and casting their nets out. Um, yeah, with a pretty good haul. So the mullet's still uh, running in Botany Bay. Well, things are looking up in Botany Bay too. It was one of the very early recreational fishing havens. There was a lot of commercial activity in there, and those. Uh, commercial fishos were bought out and now the ecosystem's incredible a, a seal colony on those hexagonal uh, rocks that make up the break wall which was quite extraordinary to see and a great big fat seal swimming by us and then then the reel started to scream and big dogfish Dave was on and we thought oh it's a beautiful jewfish a mulloway or it might be a, a giant kingy Dave take us through that incredible fight yeah, well, it's the biggest thing I'd ever caught, I'd ever managed to uh, get in. And uh, was we were, I don't think, uh, yeah, we were all totally surprised when we realised that it was a hammerhead shark, uh, about 1.2 metres long. And uh, it was a beautiful creature. We uh, managed to successfully land and catch and release it. And, uh, and three, three, three fingers, Bernie was able to get the hook out, and it was none the worse for wear. And uh, it swam away, didn't it? Didn't it run? It took off like it ran across the bay and spilled off about a hundred yards of line within no time. And uh, yeah, just patiently got it back in and and alongside the boat, and uh, uh, it was amazing. And that was on top of uh, the two Port Jackson sharks that you'd already caught that day. That's right, I had some live baits down for a mulloway or a kingy with some uh, beautiful fresh uh, yellowtail uh, swimming around down there and two beautifully marked Port Jackson sharks. Once again, just lightly lip-hooked the old circle hooks of the go and swam off none the worse for wear, Bernie. So there's an amazing, amazing underwater ecosystem there. And it, look, it changes. Like we, we have periods of, you know, three or four months where we're just catching a completely different species. Like we had one day where we couldn't really go fishing because the leather jackets were just ripping us off. You couldn't get anywhere near the bottom. It took us a while to work out what was going on until dogfish slowly bought his bait up and, you know, hundreds of, uh, of the, those annoying pesky leatheries, the little ones, were just uh, biting us off. But, but on our day out, our grand day out, so what was the different species we, we caught on, on the day? Okay, well, with the whiting, I think that was one of the reasons why we went out because we knew that they were yep. on. Uh, Trevally, flounder, flathead, yep. yellowtail, mackerel, octopus, Port Jackson, hammerhead sharks, snapper. Little snapper, yeah. Yeah, so oh. it's, a, it's a thriving, thriving little area. 
And that's, that's yeah, except the, for the, the fish that I go out for. Where's my flathead? There was a few <laughs> undersized flathead, I think, amongst that lot. No, we we did catch a few uh, keepers. Oh, that's right, you did. Well. Yeah, you yeah. you had a couple yeah. of take home floaties. Yeah. I got one that would have been the size of my little finger, and I thought that was lovely because it, you know, just let it swim off, uh, none the worse for wear. But to see so many small flathead in the system means that obviously breeding has been successful, letting the big girls go. That slot limit over 70 has been successful. And uh, I think down the track, Bernie, you'll, you'll catch more and more of those plate-size plate uh, flathead that you just really love to, to eat and yes. target. They're, they're your favourite, aren't they? There's a lot of flounder there too. They're great. Oh, and the grinner. Oh, Don't forget. a lot of flounder. Um, there was something we'd never caught there before. Uh, the gr- grinner fish, Scott. What are well, they? Well, that's that's what I thought it was. Oh, they're the, yeah. more of a tropical fish. They've got this huge mouth. Maybe they're the, called the radio announcer fish. I don't know, but they've got this big, great big mouth and the eyes on the top of their head. And I've caught them up towards the reef. But, uh, yes, I think they call them a grinner. I'll have to have a look. Uh, well, they're oh, winners. The, grunt, the grunters, the radio, and they just wouldn't <laughs> shut up. Yeah, those that's ones. Right. Yeah. Anyway, it was just such... We got a flying gurnard too, didn't we? Oh, yes. Yep, uh, Monty right. Python's flying gurnard. We got everything. It was such a great trip out. And those little um, school whiting, the ones that, with the yellow and, and blue lines on them, like Parramatta, uh, they're a beautiful yeah. eating fish. I'm sure Simon enjoyed all of those that I gave to him. No, no, I kept those. I didn't give those to them. Oh. I had the whiting. So, so can you tell the people why Simon and you got all of the fish that I caught? Ah, right. Well, it was such an exciting day, and when we packed up and we 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 left uh, Muddy Creek, I got a call when I was almost home to Maroubra um, from the club saying that one of your friends has left their tackle box and an esky, which is full of fillets, behind. So I went to pick them up, and Scott, you live a bit further away and were unable to come back. So um, I picked them up. You agreed that I could give them to Simon because we know how much he loves the slimy mackerel because he's got a smoker, and... Very excited he was uh, to to get those slimies. I gave him the yellow tail as well, which he smoked. Mm. And do you want me to tell you the recipe? How we yeah yeah the... go go for that. Yeah. That I'd love to so, hear. Look, it was an entree for the next day, and and what it was was the slimy. It's very strong in flavour and fairly salty as well. Part of the process, and what he was doing was he'd made a salad. So it's a potato salad on a green leaf base, and he's just crumbling or breaking up the slimy fillets, you know, avoiding the bones, and sprinkling it through the salad. And it's got a very, it's very strong, but it works so well in that mm. application. Uh, after smoking them, of course, in his little smoker. Yes, yeah. Yeah, lovely, lovely. And the omega-3 fatty acids in there, Mr. Marnie will live to 162 after eating all of that. Hey, Tight Lines, Dogfish Dave, Botany Bay Bernie, a great adventure. It was so nice to join you on the, the Santa Maria. What a great fishing vessel too, Bernie. I know we've done stories in the past about her restoration, the old trawler, and turning her into a, a, a little a liverboard chug-along boat. And, and it's just such a great platform to fish from, Dave, isn't it? Yeah. It's very comfortable, and uh, compared to uh, Bilbo Boat, what was it called? Bilbo Baggins. Yes. <laughs> My boat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, so not much comfort in the 10-foot tinny, but uh, we often catch a few fish. Hey, tight lines, guys. It's been such a good good time on the water. It's great to be able to catch up with you on Botany Bay in your natural habitat, Bernie. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you aboard, Scott. Welcome back on air for 2023. Go the big fish. <laughs> Well, now take down your fishing pole and meet me at the fishing hole. We may not get a bite all day, but don't you rush away. 
What a great place to rest your bones And mighty fine for skipping stones You feel fresh as a lemonade Setting in the shade Whether it's hot Whether it's cool Oh, what a spot For whistling like a fool What a fine day to take a stroll And wander by the fishing hole I can't think of a better way To pass the time of day We'll have no need to call the road When we get to the fishing hole There'll be you, me, and old dog Trey To doodle time away If we don't hook a perch or bass We'll cool our toes in dewy grass Or else pull up a weed to chaw And maybe set and jaw Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips Some hot advice for your fishing trip Where to find him? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Hey, how you going, Scott? We're, welcome to uh, the new year. Thanks, mate. And, and look, a, a change is as good as a holiday, and a holiday is as good as a change. You've had to change locations. You're up on the old stomping ground, the Tweed, while... Thingle Bay's um, overrun by happy holiday makers. What have you been doing? How, how's the fishing different to what you do well, at Thingle? Well, big, big difference. A great difference. Actually, I've arrived back. I've arrived back in um, Port Stephens, back to Thingle Bay. I've been gone for a month. I spent a month uh, up on Tweed, and oh, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a drop back in pace in life, Scott. Because you're up behind Tweed Heads, up in the Terranora Lake System, and there's plenty of room to move up in the lake system, although it's very shallow. And I've noticed that it's becoming increasingly shallow. And I did also notice that uh, a lot of the uh, um, estuary systems along our east coast are starting to choke with sand. So it's not just here. I know it's happening in Port Stephens and right along the coastline, um, I think the sand's going to be a bigger problem in the future. I think a lot of people would like to see some of that sand go back on the, the beaches that are disappearing up and down the coast. Yeah, well, that's the problem. It's a very, very difficult thing to tell sand where to go because it just <laughs> certainly does not listen. You know? <laughs> but but I've, I have had a great time, really. I mean, just taking it nice and easy. Um, I jump and I've got a boat up here. And then I just float around in the punt. Um, if I want to catch um, whiting, I dig the yabbies. There is just acres and acres of really good yabby country here. So there's no trouble. You can dig the yabbies that you require, or people call nippers, some call nippers. You can do that in 10 minutes. So that gives you enough yabbies to, to last you for, for a really good session. And what I do is I'll put on a, a number of or a number two hook or a number four hook. They're only small hooks. And then I'll put on the yabby with little to no lead, probably no lead, and I fish in around about a metre deep of, uh, of water. And then as the tide starts to move, that yabby will just swim around until Wooshka, um, a big whiting, will come and take him. So whiting are a number one on the hit list, but also the place is just... Full of beautiful, those beautiful garfish that I mentioned to oh, you every year. 
I love the sound of those. I've only ever caught the the ones with the beak, but uh, these are the the big ones that you famously once said they're the size of cricket stumps. (laughs) That's right. right. The ones without a spike on their nose. That's correct. Yeah, occasionally you do pick up a beaky one with the long nose, but these fellas are a snub-nosed garfish with big, broad shoulders, and, gee, they can go. I mean, you only use a very small hook to catch them, around about at number 10. Uh, um, and now the, the best bait I have found to catch the garfish is a yabby, a part of a yabby, just um, pretty... Uh, trisect the yabby, cut him into three, and which is not real pleasant for the yabby, I must admit. But um, you use a third of a yabby, you put it on a number 10 hook, about a half a metre under a float. It's very essential that you're burly before you do anything. Now, I didn't have any burly in the house the other day, so what I did take, I took three wheat picks with me. <laughs> and all I did was lean over the side of the boat and and crush your wheat picks in, um, and just squeeze and crush it, which meant that there was a, a sort of a crumbs on the surface. <laughs> well, they go bonkers when they see that; they just go crackers. And once you've lined them all up, then you toss in the bait of either a yabby, a bit of a yabby, or a little shrimp. Now the little shrimps get in the weed, and so I've got a very thin net that I can I pull through the weed. And I can only takes me two or three minutes to do that, and then you get enough bait, enough of these little tiny shrimps, and that'll last you for as long as you need to catch a jolly good feed of of beautiful garfish. And you mentioned there, you know, catching them on light line, a uh, little hook. Do you, do you use a float? Oh yeah, just a, a wine a wine cork. That's all you need, just something to keep it up off the bottom. But see, the garfish feed on the weed, on the on the seaweed. Um, so when you open up a garfish, he's full of the sort of all the, the algae and whatever else that grows on the weed. So you keep try and keep your bait up off over the top of the weed, and then you're in business. But well, your biggest problem is a brim. Oh, gee, brim come from everywhere. And, and you can get your little tiny brim. Oh, dear, they drive you nuts. And occasionally, um, the big uh, long tom will turn up. Oh, no. It causes havoc as well. Oh, that, that's <laughs> terrible. Hey, how do you rate the eating qualities of the snub nose gar, Stinker? Oh, beautiful. They're beautiful fish. The trouble is they're a bit small. Like, uh, you know, if they weighed two kilo, they'd be the best fish on the, in the market. Yeah. Everyone would be buying them because they're a beautiful, sweet fish. But, um, like I say, they're a bit finicky. Garfish are a bit finicky. What's great about those two different angling scenarios that you love, off the, the reefs and the bommies and the white water around the, the wild coast at Fingal, you, you hook them and you hang on on the 20-pound line with the big snapper, yeah. and they're in the, in the estuary using four- or six-pound line. It's the same sort of conundrum they can still do you if you get something decent um you know there are mangrove jack and and some other more tropical species in there that can uh can blow you away so it's it's uh, horses for courses really isn't it it is and really when coming to think of it what happens when you're fishing for the whiting as the tide runs faster you need to add a little bit more lead otherwise your bait will come to the surface so you put on a bit more lead but as it gets to the bottom, 
There's one big problem lurking on the bottom. Stingrays? Stingrays. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the old stingrays, yeah. And you feel oh. that you feel them flying, don't you? When you hook one, oh. you know exactly what you've got. Uh, actually, I was was at the car about four days ago. I took the grandchildren down for a swim in uh, one of the branches off the Tweed River, and a manta ray came completely out of the water. Wow. Oh, it was a, such a thrill to see it. Other species stinker? Did you cross swords with any other species on the Tweed? Ah, uh, well, what has filtered into the Tweed, and this is um, something that really uh, wasn't there 10 years ago, because the mangrove jack, it's home for the mangrove jack too. Oh, they're there. The, oh, I reckon they're the prize. If you can get a mangrove jack, um, gee, the, the, that's the thrill of a lifetime to catch one of those things. But there are also granta brim or what you call javelin fish are starting to filter into the system as well. And they're coming from up north. So this is all part of the warming of the of the ocean currents. And the same thing's happening here in Nelson Bay is that species from further north, um, particularly emperor, are starting to um, um, uh, arrive in greater numbers. And the pearl perch, uh, you know, we haven't really received mackerel like I was hoping we would get mackerel. And, of course, there are no mangrove jack in Port Stephens. Uh, I've only reported three in 40 years, so you don't get too excited about that. Yeah, so I've had a lovely time, but I must admit I'm so, so keen. I haven't even had an opportunity to get back into Stinkpot. And Stinkpot, I notice, has got a few cobwebs on it. Oh, no, <laughs> you don't want cobwebs on your boat. That's a dreadful sign. Uh, and Stinker, um, sharks have been a bit of a topic of discussion with a, a big one uh, shown hanging up and, and dead uh, in, in the paper. I know that that's really frowned upon in, in Port Stephens, isn't it? They, they really got away from that. If you do that in Port Stephens these days as a game fish, you're a bit of a pariah, aren't you? Oh, well, that photo would never have appeared in the local newspaper here in Port Stephens because there would have been too much heat. People are over it. We're over it in Port Stephens. And I was hoping, I really was hoping that um, fishermen that, get, that target sharks and, and marlin and game fishermen, I thought they were over it too. It's just something that's certainly not necessary. I've got a very simple um, statement to make to anyone who catches any sort of a fish. If you don't intend to eat it, don't kill it. Now, that's not too complicated. Um, I mean, really, if you're going to just catch it for your ego... Um, I think you've got to sort of wake up to yourself, quite frankly. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it did happen at Shoal Bay there. You know, people had come and see them and it was pretty grotesque. You know, those giant sharks and their stomach would bulge out of their mouths and then it would be dumped out at sea. And it was almost like killing for killing's sake. And, and it just really left a, a bad taste, didn't it? People thought fishermen were quite brutal and... and um, I don't know. It just, just didn't sit well, did it? Oh, well, everybody just came to the conclusion as, as to why. Why why do it? Um, you know, and, and that was threatening the future of game fishing in Port Stephens. If, if it was kept up that uh, all the fish that the sharks and the marlin that were caught were going to be killed... Um, and, and the waste, really the waste stinker, you know, the, there's these fish being dumped at sea to rot. It was yep. just awful. Yeah, 
Well, look, you know, I, I'm yeah, it's a bit disappointing, but hopefully they will realise that catching big fish and to and to really justify it by saying, oh, look, it's a shark and sharks are dangerous and sharks this and shark. In 200 years, there's never been a fatality in Port Stephens. I mean, I know, I know there are along our coastline, um, particularly up around the Ballina area, there have been dreadful things happening up there. But I think we've got a bit paranoid over sharks. I mean, sharks live in the ocean and, and they're part of the ecosystem and leave them there. That's, that's what I reckon. No, they don't bother me. Good on you, Stinker. Hey, tight lines, mate. Great to have you back. Oh, it's good. Yeah, we'll have a good year, this guy. I've got some great ideas coming up this year. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you can share them with us. Tight lines, mate. Hooray, Scott. There's plenty of fish in the ocean. There's plenty of fish in the ocean. There's plenty of fish in the deep blue sea. And oh, there must be one for me. For me. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. It's The Big Fish and Joe Starling. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. It's great to be back on the Big Island. Yeah, I've been following you on Facebook. It's just been extraordinary watching you and Steve fish your way around Tasmania. Giant King George whiting, beautiful trout, everything really. Take us from top to bottom. Where did you start? Uh, we, we started, we, we hopped off the um, Spirit of Tasmania and drove a very short distance to Port Sorrel, and, um, which I'd never... Um, been to or even heard of before and um, apparently in um, Port Sorrel there is the largest by size population of black brim known right apparently if you see them you'll be you'll fall out of your boat because there's um, individuals in there 60 centimeter plus stonkers (laughs) stonkers like ridiculous but um, but they're you know we know how long it takes for a black brim to get to any size. So imagine how long these fish have been around and how many anglers they've seen. They are the spookiest <laughs> um, brim known to man. They've all got um, degrees in how to not take your lure. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they're flighty and they live up on the flats. And so we went there hoping to um, even see them. We didn't. But we it was really funny, actually, Scott, because we were pulling into the uh, jetty one day and Dave from New South Wales wanted to know if we had caught any of the of the black brim and we said no. Um, he knew Steve, obviously, but we didn't know him. <laughs> um, yeah. And anyway, um, he had been stalking them for about three days. He'd seen them, he'd found them, he was able to look at them but that was as close as he got, so he did better than us. Um, I love it when the when the really good fisher folk are, are skunked. You, you know that there's always that that challenge. You know that that the, the Everest to climb. I guess it's still there. Absolutely, and there are um, there are a lot of you know the high end brim anglers in the know who have it quietly on their bucket list to get there and actually conquer it. So um, that, that's something for, for all our listeners who, who perhaps are wondering what their next holy grail is. And, of course, uh, talking of, of that, they would catch and release, you know, use soft plastics oh. or lures, and uh, you would never uh, kill a fish 
of no, that size or age, no. no. And, and no. I know you gently let them no. go, but um, looks like they uh, didn't get bothered by the, the starlings by the sound of it. <laughs> Not at all. We didn't even see them. But what we, did, <laughs> what we did discover there was the first of the King George whiting that we came across. And what we found is that the further you went offshore, the larger they got. Um, and we were just blown away because I'm a kangaroo island um, girl from heritage-wise. And um, that's where I first started fishing for King George whiting with my, my um, family over there. And I didn't know that King George Whiting sort of regularly got over 45 centimetres, but um, we were literally, by the end of our trip, throwing 42 centimetre um, King George Whiting back as the runts of the litter. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, I got my PB when we got to the, the end of our trip. I got a 49, which was, uh, I was looking forward to cracking the 50 mark, but I didn't get there. Wow. But anyway, so the first ones that we found were at um, Port Sorrel. And also the other thing that I absolutely love and am new at is calamari fishing or squid fishing. So um, that was the first job was to go out and catch the bait. That's what I loved about your, your photos on social media was that you're getting a beautiful feed of, of lovely tender uh, inshore calamari squid, but then also collecting this fantastic fresh bait that's still wriggling almost that, that the whiting just can't resist. You'd, you'd totally nailed that. If you're a failure with the brim, you're none out of 100 for the brim. I give you 99 out of 100 for the whiting and the, and the squid. Absolutely. And, and when you're going for the squid first, how do you lose? Right? Squid are my favourite thing, I think, out of the sea to eat. And they're, they're completely guilt-free because they only live to about a year anyway. So they're prolific breeders and fast growers and all of that. And they're heaps of fun to target and catch. And to be able to use them as the bait to um, cross-grade or upgrade, most people would say (laughs) upgrade, but I do love my squid, um, to the King George Whiting. And if you fail, then you've got a fantastic feed of calamari. You you can't lose, Joe. You just can't can't lose. You can't lose. And the weather and, the weather looked really nice too, I must say. They had a bit of warm weather when you were there, I think. Yeah, it was um it was still tazzy. <laughs> so <laughs> we had the we had the four seasons in a day sort of stuff quite often and you do really have to take all your layers yeah. with you and be prepared for anything. One of the funniest things that happened to us was we had this um fantastic um dome that completely changed, revolutionised our camping. We spent, we were there for about 23 days and we camped 19 of them, right? And um, that would have been really hard without this dome. Anyway, we were up up on our um, our block that I told you we'd bought and, and um, we were camping up there for Christmas and then we decided that we'd nick down to Hobart and catch up with an old mate, Rory Muller, from, that Steve um, spent a lot of time with in Gerringong. He's moved down to Hobart. And so we ran down there and had a bit of a, um, a stay and a calamari fish with him down in um, Primrose Sands. Unbeknownst to us, a an unforecast 150 kilometre an hour um, freak gale came through back at, in, at um, Lake Crescent where our beautiful dome was. And when we went home, it was a new garden sculpture. <laughs> Shredded. <laughs> Absolutely. Shredded the, it. Um, 
Yeah, we were able to put it back together, but only after a lot of visits to Mitre 10 and three people and a lot of duct tape <laughs> and <laughs> to get us through the last five days. That's, that's, Tassie, that's Tassie for you. I, I've seen photos where my daughter lives there at Carlton Beach, just uh, the Hobart side of Primrose Sands and, and um, you know, blanketed in snow. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then you're looking and straight up at Mount Wellington. For sure. We were a bit concerned that we might get a white Christmas this year, but then it turned very, very hot. And um, and we um, and the winds came through and all that sort of thing. But we did have cold days and we did have hot days. But so generally, you, yep. blue skies and and fantastic fishing. We're speaking Absolutely. with Jo Starling, who's just had a great adventure in Tasmania with her uh, other half, Steve, and uh, of course the the beautiful big trout of the high country. You would have um, wielded your long wand at, at, at those, wouldn't you? I did, I did, but. Um, I've got to tell you, my greatest success was um, finally cracking a behemoth from Lake Crescent, which we now call Our Lake. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we fished it only three times in our um, in our lives, and we blanked every time. The Lake Crescent is known to be a fish, a lake of few fish, but big ones. And then on, I think it might have been. Um, New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, we went out on Lake Crescent again, and it was really, really hot. Like we were, we were up in the thirty degree sort of stuff. And um, and we, the best way to catch these fish is to troll, which is not something I've ever done for trout before. I know a lot of people do, and uh, and so that's what we were doing. And um, lo and behold, the first hit was on mine and it was within 15 minutes of, of putting onto the lake and um, it hit me like a steam train and you won't believe it my, I now have a new PB trout which was a 10 pounder at 75 centimetres long. Gee that's a good fish, that's a good fish something they do down there very effectively too is if they use a Tassie Devil or or a bibbed lure, a deep diver or whatever they'll, they'll mm. run run a, a fly like a, a little matuka or something off a dropper off the swivel above it. That, that's uh, been a, a very um, good good technique in, in Pedder and places like that when, when the fish were huge. They, you'll often get them come up, have a look at the lure and say, hang on, that's a little fish chasing an even smaller one and grab the fly. But uh, can, you, can you tell us, tell us a secret lure? I can. Um, you won't believe it, but it was one of R.T. Broughton's um, shimmies. It was beautiful and it had um, a sort of copper body with um, the uh, trout trout spots on it, um, hand-painted. So I'm very, very lucky. Uh, but th- getting back to the technique you were just saying, Steve was running that, actually, which I found rather intriguing. But they only like the girls' lures. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it nice that you caught it on an Australian-made, handcrafted work of art? I just, just love the fact that, um, you know, that was the, the lure that the, the trout chose as well. And mm. uh, it's just fantastic. So uh, a, 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 a fair dinkum 10-pounder, eh? It was a fair dinkum 10-pounder. Um, and you got another one. On video. I did get another one that was, um, which wasn't quite as long, but it, it was, um, I think it came up around 60... Five sixty-eight, something like that. But it was much uh, in a in a, a much better condition, and it bought because the lake's only I think three meters deep at the deepest part, 
and where we were fishing was um, two metres deep. The um, the smaller one, <laughs> which was still close to nine pounds, got up on its tail and it was behaving much more like a um, like a tuna or a, or a mackerel, um, like a pelagic fish, just scooting everywhere and had me running all over the boat because of the shallows. It was just incredible, and wow. they're so powerful. Yeah. yeah, but that was exciting. Well, our listeners now know that there's a 10-pounder and a 9-pounder still swimming around, brown trout in, in Lake Crescent up in the central highlands of Tassie. And finally, Joe, your, your other baby, the uh, Women's Recreational Fishing League. I've just been loving uh, the, the social media interaction there. Their chat page is just beautiful. Everyone helping each other, sharing, no egos. It's just uh, the way fishing should be. How's it all coming? Any events coming up? Yes, we do actually, um, and thank you. The girl, I told the girls how much um, you were enjoying the um, the discourse, and they were very thrilled. Um, we have the Brumex coming up in um, at the end of May, which we're holding out of Yamba and um, taking registrations already, which is fantastic. Period. If you want to get into it and, and want to stretch yourself as a fisherwoman, go to the WRFL, the Women's Recreational Fishing League and uh, tight lines to you all. Good to talk to you again, Joe. Thanks for sharing some of your adventures in Tasmania. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Almost as much fun as being there. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.